message entitled The Lamb of God. I'm going to be in all of Scripture today from the beginning to the end, not every book. But we're going to be in Genesis and we're going to be in Revelation, so that's beginning and end. Because this concept, the Lamb of God, is the central theme of the whole Bible. It's an amazing thing, and I just had such a blessed time just contemplating these things this week. Because the Lamb is such an innocent, not dangerous thing. But our Lamb, He is risen, and He is returning. And he's going to conquer the world again. And he's going to rule as king. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. How powerful it is. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you today. To express our love to you with one heart and one voice. Now, Lord, as we look at scripture, Lord, I pray it would cause our heart to worship the great and mighty king that we serve. Lord, that I might be spirit-filled today. And that each one of us might be spirit-filled as listeners. That you might have your way in our life. That the word might have its impact in our life. And Lord, do I pray for anyone that's not here. That has not surrendered yet to the Lamb of God. Has not received you as their own personal Savior. That today would be the day of their salvation. And then we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lamb of God. First, we have the lamb prophesied in Genesis 3, 15. You know the story. God created the earth. When he got done, he said, it is good. In six days he created, he rested the seventh. He gave us a story of how he created Adam and Eve. He took the dirt, the dust of the ground, and he, he made a man. And then he said, it's not good that man be alone. He put Adam to sleep, took a rib, and formed from his rib, woman. And placed them in a perfect environment. Told them what their responsibilities were. And they had a wonderful marriage. But they had one thing they were not to do. To eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One one thing. But Satan shows up. (coughs) Because he's already fallen by this time. And he says, hath God said. Did God really say you'll die? And Eve was deceived. And then she gave to her husband. And Adam was not deceived, but he chose sin. And Romans 5 explains, and he says, So death passed but all men. The proof, everybody sins, everybody dies. We don't sin to become sinners. We're born that way because our father, Adam, chose that for us. And when God shows up, first they run, and then finally calls them. And he says, what have you done? And Adam blames his wife, and the wife blames the serpent. God judges each one of them. But he says about the ministry of the lamb in the third chapter, verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He will bruise you on the head, and he will crush your, he will bruise you on the heel. So the serpent's going to, Uh, bruise the heel of the Savior. That happens in crucifixion when the spikes are driven through the ankles of Jesus and bruises his heel. But he will crush your head. And then in Genesis 3.20, excuse me, Genesis 22.8, God has given 
Abraham that miraculous son. And he said, I'm gonna make of your son, this one that they gave him in old age, a great nation. And he says, but I want you to show your love to me. I want you to take your son out and make him a burnt offering. So Abraham takes him up to Mount Moriah and they have servants on this journey there. I don't think they told Sarah, but anyway, they get up there and he says, now this is the boy and I will go alone. And so he takes his teenage son up the mountain carrying the, the wood and they get there and Isaac says, father, I see the wood for the sacrifice. I see the knife, but where is the lamb? And this prophetically, Abraham speaks, God will provide for himself the lamb. Now in that story, God opens Abraham's eyes and they see a ram caught in the thicket and that becomes the sacrifice because he's going to follow through. He raises the knife and an angel comes and says, no, don't do that. And he sees the ram. And so you have the substitutionary atonement already spoken about but we see it in particular in Isaiah 53. There must be a sin bearer. You see, back there in Genesis 3 begins animal sacrifice because in Genesis 3, 21, the Bible says, the Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Thank you, Larry. And Dr. Bookman always says, and they didn't just zip their skins off. Now, think about this. Adam and Eve had never seen death up until this point. And God slays animals to clothe them. And he gives them instructions so much so that even their sons are told how to worship God and how to bring a sacrifice for their sin. But the first man born, Cain, decides he's got a better way. He brings an, an offering of fruit. And Abel, his brother, brings the right offering, a blood sacrifice, and then he goes to encourage his brother to do the right thing and Cain kills him. And so we see this sacrifice beginning. God makes of Abraham a nation in, the, in Egypt and when he delivers them, he gives them the law. And the law are all these sacrifices. But there's always this idea there has to be a covering for sin. But we read the book of Hebrews and God knew that that was not going to be enough. There was going to need to be something different to take away sins. It says in Hebrews, it's not possible that the blood of goats and bulls and goats can take away sins. What do we find that? We find that in the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's prophesied in Isaiah 53, verse 7 through 12. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. As for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due? His grave was assigned with the wicked, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. In John 1, 25 through 30, 
They've come to John the Baptist and they're asking him, are you the Messiah? Are you the one we're looking for? And he says, no, I'm not he. I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy to unlatch his, his sandal. I baptize you with water. He's gonna baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then in verse 29 of chapter one, the next day he saw Jesus coming and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, I don't know if John actually got the full impact of that. A lot of times the prophets didn't. There's the one that will be the sacrifice, God's lamb, to take away our sin. And this week we celebrated on Friday the sacrifice of the lamb of God. He was, he was presented to the people, both by John and then by Pilate. He lived his life three and a half years. We know from Dr. Bookman's teaching also that the tradition that a lamb would be chosen by the family, the lamb would come and live with the family, and then when it was time for sacrifice, the father would take the lamb to the place of sacrifice, to the temple. He would place his hands on the, that little lamb's shoulders, signifying the lamb's taking the responsibility for the sin of my family. Then with one swipe the priest would cut the throat of that innocent little lamb its life would flow out they would catch the blood and in the first Passover that blood was to be placed over the doorpost and the lintel so that the death angel would pass over that is the last plague that delivered the children of Israel from Egypt and we have all these sacrifices going on of innocent animals and Jesus comes. He demonstrates who, is it, who he is by his words and by his works. No man ever convinced him of sin. Pilate, when, when seeing the, the accusation, says, I find no fault in him. And they give a choice of Barabbas, this, this known murdering criminal, or Jesus. And the people say, let Barabbas go. And Pilate says, what will I do with your king? And they say, crucify him. The high priest, even though he was not a godly man, because he was high priest, prophesied that one would die for the people. That is our savior. That's our innocent lamb. But lest you think the devil was the one doing these things, when Jesus is hung on the cross about nine o'clock in the morning, the Bible says from Noon till three o'clock, a darkness comes over the whole land. And John MacArthur says, hell came to Golgotha on that afternoon. And the wrath of God, not Satan, the wrath of God was poured out on the Lamb of God, the sacrifice God chose the Father for us to take our place. Jesus incurred the wrath of God on the cross. And at the end of that, he cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because Jesus endured something you and I will never know as his children. That is being separated from God. That is what every person that rejects Christ will experience in the grave, being rejected totally separated from God.
And then he asked for a drink. Jesus didn't wither on the cross. He fought a battle, a mighty battle for you and for I, for, for, for us. And they give him vinegar. He clears his throat. He takes all of his strength and he cries out to Telestai. It is finished. The lamb began his conquering at the cross. He conquered sin. Everything to do with sin was finished at the cross. There's nothing left for you to do but receive the finished work of the Lamb of God. Three days later, he conquers death as his life explodes out of that tomb. And then he appears to the brethren in his new body, still veiled his glory. Because no one can stand to be in the presence of the glorified lamb. Not in these bodies. You see John and Ezekiel in the throne room. And as soon as they get a glimpse in a vision, they're on their face in a dead faint. But we get a glimpse of what our new body is going to be like. Because in his new body, Jesus would appear. He'd come through doors and yet he'd say, reach out and touch my hands. And he ate with them. And then he ascended back to the Father, but he promised, I'm going to return. One day I'm going to return. In John chapter 1, we see the Lamb in all of his splendor and all of his glory. And John gets a glimpse. He hears a voice like, like a mighty waterfall. But so clear, it was like the piercings of a trumpet. And he turns to to get a glimpse of the voice that he sees and he falls in a dead faint at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus reaches down and touches him. And I love this. Don't be afraid. I'm the one that was alive and then was dead. But I am alive forevermore and I'm gonna reign forever. We come to chapter five in the book of Revelation And I go here a lot because I'm so excited about the returning conquering lamb. It's what we live for as believers. It says there, I saw the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a book written inside on the back, sealed up with seven seals. It's a scroll, the old style of book. And what that scroll is, is a title deed to the earth. See, Jesus As the son of God, the second person of the Godhead spoke the worlds into existence. He is creator God. It belongs to him. But sin came in, man chose sin, and sin passed upon all of creation. But Jesus is going to restore it. And so a search is made. If you read further in chapter 5, a search is made. Who is worthy to fulfill this title deed to the earth and all that's needed so the ownership can change back to its rightful owner. And a search is made in the heaven and the seas and everywhere and no one is found. And John begins to weep greatly. Why? Because what that's saying is life and sin and its destruction will continue because no, nobody is worthy to restore it. And the elder comes next to John and he says, John, stop weeping. I love this. The lion 
of the tribe of Judah. He is worthy. And in this great stadium of worship that John is at, Jesus steps out and the whole place falls down in worship and rises up and singing, worthy is the lamb. But what did John see? He says, I saw, as it were, a lamb freshly slain, stepping out from the midst of the throne to take the, deed, the title deed from the father. What does that mean? That means that in heaven, you're going to be restored, made perfect. It's not that Jesus is any less than perfect, but for all eternity, you will see the marks of his crucifixion. Why? Because those are his battle scars and how he won his precious bride. Forever powerful, forever mighty, forever worthy, the marks of crucifixion to ever remind us of the amazing love, the amazing grace that was showed on us, unworthy by the Savior. And so he begins to unroll these seals, and you can read about those as he begins, God begins to pour his wrath out on the earth. He's cleansing the earth. In the cleansing, think of it this way, just like when Pharaoh got 10 amazing supernatural opportunities to submit to God's rule, and every time he rejected, his heart was a little bit harder. And as these things take place in the earth, there are going to be some from every tribe and nation that get saved, but so many are going to reject him. And these tremendous, amazing things happen, and people's heart just gets harder. And you and I think, how could that happen? How could they reject this obvious? Because they know who it is, and they hate him. Starts by destroying the planet that all the people think is indisposable. But it's God's planet, and it's disposable. And one day he's going to dispose of it and make a new one. That's what we live for. But he comes to chapter 6, verse 12. And this is amazing. I looked when he broke the sixth steel, and there's a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair. The whole moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall us. Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. He's coming back. He came the first time meek and lowly, not to judge but to seek and to save those that were lost. He's coming the second time bringing judgment. Verse 17, for the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand. And then in verse, in chapter 19, verses 11 through 16, we see his return. That was just him sending things to the earth. 
to get people's attention, to get them to make a decision. Verse 11 of Revelation 19, and I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat upon it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His, his eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written on which no man knows except himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him upon white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. The seventh angel sounds, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. You and I read that, and that makes me think of Romans chapter eight, where the apostle Paul writes, and he says, listen, anything, anything, that you might suffer for your faith cannot be compared to the glory that you'll share one day when you get to ride out on your white horse with the Lamb of God that comes back to conquer. And the Bible says that his kingdom will fill the whole earth. Not one unsaved person, not one unclean thing is gonna go in to the kingdom and he's going to reign for a thousand years. Satan's going to be bound in a bottomless pit. And the Bible says things are going to go back to the way they were at creation. The lion is going to eat grass like the ox. The lion will lay down with the lamb. You see any lambs laying down with lions? Not naturally. The child will play at the hole of the asp and no one will do any hurt in all of his kingdom. But here's the amazing part, and this shows the tremendous rebellion. You go through the seven years of tribulation where God pours out his wrath and men will not receive. And then you have a thousand years of perfect environment and perfect government. And then at the end of that thousand years, Satan is gonna be loose for a short time. And the Bible says the rebellion will be like the sands of the sea. And the conquering lamb will put that one last rebellion and then we enter eternity. But the question is, have you submitted to the lamb? Not do you know about him. The whole world knows there was a man named Jesus that was crucified. You may even believe that he rose again. The devils believe and tremble. But have you submitted to his rule? In the last words of the book of Revelation, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who has ears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. Or will you hear those saddest words a human can ever hear? Depart from me, worker of iniquity. I never knew you. The last two verses of Revelation, he who testifies these things says, yes, I am coming. 
Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word. How clear it is that our only chance <coughs> is to submit to the Lamb of God who paid the price, who paid for our redemption. And yet we know it takes a miracle to open the rebellious heart of a man. But Lord, we'd ask this morning that you would do that by the gospel. If there's one lost person here today, Lord, that you would touch their heart. They would see their lost condition. And they'd submit to you. They'd trust you as their Lord and Savior. And then we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.